The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion given by a guest speaker. The statements, views, and opinions presented in this message are those of the speaker and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online at wscal.edu or call 888-480-8474. That's online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. I'm delighted to be with you. Uh... I had a reputation for, for emphasizing the meditative life in the seminary because I graduated from several seminaries where there was no opportunity for pious reflection or devotional life. Free University of Amsterdam, University of Chicago. And I guess that's one of the reasons why they uh, say, well, you better practice what you teach. And so they keep asking me back to lead a chapel service. I'm delighted to do so, especially because we have the wonderful Word of God as our inspiration and instruction, this time from Luke chapter 4. As I grow older, I can't read with glasses anymore, but I can without. Of course, I can't see you now for a while. I'll have to do it. The temptation of Jesus. We want to honor the Lord as we read this temptation uh, account. But my uh, main interest for this brief chapel time is to expose the strategy of the devil in temptation. Hear now the word of the Lord, the very word of God. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert. Wherefore, forty days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live by bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor, for it has been given to me. I can give it to anyone I want to. So if you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered, it says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until another opportune time. May the Lord and the Spirit, the primary author of this scripture, 
apply this to all of our hearts and bless our comments upon it. When was the last time you were tempted to do something you shouldn't have done? Say something you shouldn't have said? Eat something you shouldn't have eaten? <laughs> Tempting flesh? Or even think something you shouldn't have thought? Temptation is an unavoidable reality of life. And we ought to be more conscious of it. Whether children in a test are cheating or uh, adults in a business deal, temptation is all around us. Even now, you are tempted right now. You were tempted not to sing with the enthusiasm you should have sung. And if my hearing is okay, some of you surrendered to that temptation. We should sing and pray with more fear, shouldn't we? We're here to praise the Lord, huh? You were tempted as you walked toward the chapel. Some of you were coming from the classroom and were tempted to go left <laughs> to the library or somewhere else for coffee instead of right to the chapel. It's always right to go right, you know. <laughs> but everyone here resisted that temptation. You came here. So you, now you can sit in smug piety and think that there's some of these people who fell into temptation and, and they're sitting in the library and here we are. Well, of course, that would be submitting to the temptation of spiritual pride. And that's worst of all. If C.S. Lewis is right, he says, pride was the original temptation. The devil said, don't you want to be like God? And they fell. And you know what the consequences were. Our Lord Jesus' perfect life included victory and temptation. Our Lord Jesus lived a genuine human life, subject to genuine temptation. And he was vict victorious. And that's one of the reasons, of course, among others, why he told, taught us to pray when we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Save us from the demonic power of temptation. In this scripture, we have uh, an account of Jesus' victory over the devil's temptation. We don't know what form in which the devil appeared but we know it was genuine. I don't think the devil bothers many of us. He's got much more minority henchmen, angels to tempt us, and we can't even resist them. Jesus faced the devil himself. And this victory was accomplished in a very difficult time. The Bible says that he hadn't eaten for 40 days. Have you ever tried that? He must have been very much physically weak. And it also tells us that it was at the very beginning of his ministry. Oh, beginnings are tough. I really have a, a, a soft heart for church planters. Uh, beginnings are so, so very difficult. And it wasn't easy to begin here way back in the early 80s of the last century. 
so in these trying circumstances, physically weak, vulnerable, and at the very beginning of his ministry, the devil comes with his onslaughts. When I looked at this passage the first time, I noticed that there was a participial form that suggests a continuing action in regard to the devil's temptation. I read from the uh, NIV, which said, for 40 days he was tempted. The ESV says, being tempted, to give us a sense of continuing action. So the, devil, the devil's onslaughts came through during the entire 40 days. It must have been a very difficult time. Now, if it's true that the devil tempted Jesus throughout the soul, whole period of time, there must have been many, many, many temptations. And then the question comes, why did the Holy Spirit want us to know about these three? And I'm suggesting that the answer to that is because the Spirit of God wanted us to know what the devil's strategy always is like. Uh, three temptations, but three special ones to indicate what a master psychologist the devil is. The devil knows your weak points. He knows our vulnerable areas, and so does the Bible. And the Bible reveals those three weak areas of human temptation and vulnerability in First uh, John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. You know it well, don't you? Love not the world, that is, that which is opposed to God in the world. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. These are not of the Father, but are of the world. Did you hear them? Lust. Lust, you see, destructive craving. That which we desire so intensely that if we get it, destroys us. And John tells us that there are three areas of that kind of lust and this destructive behavior. Fleshly lust, visual lust, and prideful lust. We see evidence of these all around us, don't we? Have you ever really asked yourself why there's such a push to legalize marijuana. Is it really for the people who need it medically? Of course not. It's part of that craving, fleshly craving. And there are so many of them. I need not mention them. They're so destructive. Uh, cravings of the flesh that turn back and destroy us. And then there's visual lust, the lust of the eye. Uh, R.B. Kuyper, who was president of Westminster in Philadelphia for some 25 years um, in his ministries class uh, often told us in preaching that we better be aware of the eye gate. He said, you know, your, your people don't have just ear gates. You're not just talking to them, but your very demeanor in the pulpit <clears throat> also uh, is part of your message. If you're sad or joyful, or humble, or proud. It'll come through the eye gate. Well, the eye gate is an area of lust, too. 
Any of you who have been in the military service, as I have, uh, know how pornographic magazines are everywhere. I lived in barracks, I lived on ships, I lived in bachelor officer quarters, and they're all over the place. Playboy, Cui, Penthouse, and now you know why I know all about those things. They're just everywhere. Lust of the flesh, destructive cravings, and of course we know how many marriages have been destroyed because one of these mates found someone else who looked so good, saw a TV program that broke my heart. Uh, Friday, I believe it was, Friday evening, this uh, story about uh, the, forget, some kind of solution to murder cases. This missionary family to Lithuania, a minister of the gospel, he came back and took an 18-year-old Lithuanian girl back with the family to go to college here in the U.S. And uh, an affair began, and he, he murdered his wife because someone else looked so good. And of course, it isn't just in the sexual area that we are visually, uh, lustfully attractive. Uh, how many family budgets have been destroyed because of the reckless purchase of things, stuff, as O'Reilly likes to call it. The glitter of that which is purchased to satisfy some visual craving. You know all about those, don't you? Widescreen TVs and motorized RVs, motorboats and sport coats. Uh, new homes and iPhones <laughs> attract All these things attract us. And then, of course, there's prideful lust. The devil knows how weak we are in the flesh, in the visual things that attract us, and in pride. The Bible says pride comes before the fall. The Bible is always right. But I especially want to mention the danger of pride in the pulpit. You know, we're tempted. I am right now. Lord, forgive me. To wonder why, while we're preaching, what kind of an impact. <laughs> Are we impressing people with our ability? And I personally have always been opposed to what I call the glad hand ceremony after the service. The preacher is supposed to go to the door and await compliments as they go by, you know? Yeah. So uh, as a guest pastor, if they give me a choice, I always say, uh, would you have the elders greet, please? Uh, I just want to relax. Pride. Pride comes before the fall. Well, we don't have much time left to deal with the devil's strategy in all of this now. But I want you to see the devil's approach now to our Lord Jesus. What's his first temptation? He said, turn this stone into bread. Remember, hadn't eaten for 40 days, or some time along the way anyway. Use your miracle power for your own good once, Jesus. Lust of the flesh. It must have been a temptation. 
Jesus says, no, <laughs> man does not live by bread alone. So the devil's first strategy didn't work, so he tries number two. And he says, that's verses five to eight. He showed him all the kingdoms of the world. Did you get that? He showed him. Look, Jesus, all the power centers of the world. Um, what an influence for good and righteousness you could be. All you have to do is recognize my authority. Tempting. Without going to the cross, he could have influenced the nations. Jesus refuses. He says, God alone is supreme and worship him only. So the devil resorts to his third strategy, the third vulnerable area of human weakness, which you remember is pride. He takes Jesus to the pinnacle of the temple, perhaps the center of the, uh, the corner of the great wall, people mulling around all the time, of course. And he says, Jesus, jump. Because it says in the scripture, that the angels will swoop you up and you won't hurt your heel. And you'll be a celebrity. I think this was an appeal to, to that craving, prideful desire for celebrity in the human nature. Jesus refuses and says, look, don't put your God to the test. Jesus endured. He was victorious. The devil's strategy didn't work. And it always had worked before. It worked ever since the Garden of Eden. Genesis 3, verse 6. Listen. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food. Mmm, good. Lust of the flesh. And that it was a delight to the eyes, it looked so attractive. And was desire for gaining wisdom, prideful lust. She took and gave some to her husband who was with her, right there next to her. And you know what the consequences were. A wicked world, a world Riven with temptation. The devil seemed to always have his own work, will. Ever since the Garden of Eden, think of Noah. Noah was rescued from a massive flood, and in order to celebrate, he got drunk. The lust of the flesh. Or David. David, who cast visual lustful eyes on Bathsheba, on the rooftop, down the street. And you know what the disaster was that followed? Or David, who numbered the people to see, well, how great he was and how big of an army he could expect to raise. Prideful lust. It always worked. Ever since the fall. And it still does. Except for those who live and trust in the power and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
You are no match for the devil in and of yourself. Only when you really commit yourself to Jesus Christ. And it's just not a matter of saying no because you don't have the power to say no. But Jesus has the power to sustain us. Because where Adam failed, Christ prevailed. Where Adam and Eve failed, Jesus prevailed. And that's why you can too. So love not the world or the things in the world. Lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. For all that is of the world will pass away, and the lust thereof. But they who do the will of my heavenly Father will live forever. Really live, not just exist. Live forever. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for Jesus' victory over temptation. And in the hour of trial, Jesus plead for us, lest by base denial we depart from thee. Our Father, may we now go in peace in the power and strength and love of Jesus. Amen. Copyright 2015, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.